Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest podcast, this one being for June 2016, which I guess, in a way, should be pretty much the beginnings of summer. Although, as I'm recording this at the end of May and looking out of the window, it's pouring it down with rain and it's actually quite cold. In fact, the weather, in a way, I can judge it at this time of the year because there's an event, the big event that takes place uh, in Exeter, where I live, which is called the Devon County Show. And it's a massive agricultural show where they have massive marquees and hundreds of exhibitors and tens of thousands of people attend every year. But unfortunately, um, a lot of the time this is based in where the um, the thing takes place is in massive fields. And these fields, if it rains, very quickly turn into a mud bath. And it seems to me that every year, as soon as we get to the end of May, when the event takes place for three days, the weather can be a heat wave up until the day before it starts. And the moment the Devon County show begins, yep, down comes the rain. I had a stand there myself one year and I vowed never to go again. It was dreadful because on that particular year, as usual, it rained and there were literally rivers of water running down through the site because it had rained so much that the pathways just became rivers and everybody who came was sloshing around in wellington boots and it was supposed to be a a sort of spring going into summer event ridiculous and the other thing that can also change the weather is me playing golf by the way i don't play golf that often i'm a casual golfer but um, every year I like to uh, golf with a friend of mine. We, we have a mini golfing break and we're going to that next week. And we play a couple of rounds of golf over two days. It's really good fun. Unfortunately, it will nearly always rain on us. No matter what time of year we select to go, and we've gone at different times of the year. Again, it can be nice and sunny a few days before. As soon as we get to our couple of days, the clouds come over and it gets cold and it starts to rain. So I'm actually a very good rain golfer, just not very good when it's dry and sunny. I don't know what to do with myself. Anyway, enough about the weather. Let's move on. I wanted to talk a little bit about the lecture tour that I did at the end of April in the United States. I had a fantastic time. I really enjoyed myself and visited and lectured in five different places in five days. I went to Detroit, Peoria, Indianapolis, Dayton and Findlay. And everywhere I went, everybody was terribly welcoming. It was a lovely way to... I really like lecturing anyway, but when you do lectures one after the other in quick succession... You, you get very used to it and, it and it sets up a kind of a rhythm in itself, which is great fun to do. I, I had a lot of driving to do in order to get to all these places. Um, some were quite close, but others were six or seven hours drive between them. I hired a car, obviously, and I did about 1,500 miles in that first week. It was not as stressful or tiring as I thought it was going to be. I thought, gosh, the, these six and seven hour drives... My brain is going to turn to mush by the time I get there and then I have to work in the evening. I'm not going to be able to cope. But actually, it, it wasn't like that at all. It was very easy driving, uh, big interstate roads, not a problem, automatic car. It's great. So I really enjoyed the driving. I like driving anyway, but I really enjoyed it. Didn't have a problem with uh, feeling too tired at all. And I like to think that by the time I got to the evening and the adrenaline of the lecture itself, um, it was absolutely fine. So very enjoyable. I want to thank everybody who made me feel so welcome when I did the tour. And after the end of that week, I then moved on, uh, drove up to north of New York State to attend the 4Fs Magic Convention that I go to most years. 
This year, as well as just attending it as a magic dealer, I was also on a couple of the shows. I was on the British Gala show, and also I was doing one of the um, little... You do little um, workshoppy segments. Uh, they have one of the sessions is put over to that, and I was doing a workshop uh, all about finger rings, actually, or well, rings generally, but I, I did a trick with finger rings. It was funny because um, when, there's a, when there's a British Gala show, or when there's any show, I guess, that has all magicians from one particular nation, you kind of feel that you're in front of the big audience there, you're representing your country. On the British Gala show, all of us felt we were representing Britain. And you really want the show to go well, because you feel it reflects on the magicians from, from the country that you come from. And that gives you an extra little feeling of responsibility, I think, for all of us who performed on that show. We really didn't want to let the side down. We didn't want to let ourselves down, or obviously you don't want to do that. But also because it's, well, you're all from the same country, you didn't want people to think, gosh, the, the Brits, oh my goodness, they are awful. Well, I'm pleased to report that the show seemed to go down well. And we did okay. We did fine. And it was it was a good show, I think. And everybody was... The, the magic that we all did was very varied too, which was nice. We weren't all of the same type, which was good. So overall, it was a, a, a good show, I think. It's also for us, it's a great opportunity to chat to people. And I was able to talk to, I had a long chat with Bob Swaddling, who I really only ever see now, because since he moved to America a few years ago, I only ever really see him at 4Fs. And it's great to catch up with him and have a conversation to find out how he's doing and what he's doing these days. And also various other people who, and even some of the, the people who come to perf- over from the uk to perform or to appear or just to be there um you often don't see those people either normally back in the uk so it's kind of weird you you travel sort of three and a half thousand miles in order to circulate with people who live an hour up the road yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense but that's how it's that's the way it is so for us was great uh, it always is uh, it's great fun. It, it is a bit of a one of a kind, I think, and I really enjoy going. No doubt I shall be back there again next year in order to do it all over again. There's a phrase that you hear. I'm not sure of the exact wording, but it's something like you never profit in your own backyard. And I found this to be very true. I was talking a few moments ago about the fact that I've just done these lectures in America and how appreciative everybody is when I turn up and how pleased they are to see me. And I think it's something to do with, and the excitement that it it seems to generate, and I think it's something to do with the fact that they don't normally get the opportunity to see me. They might have watched some of my video demos or bought some of my products and seen DVD explanations of it and so on and so forth. But to actually see somebody live who you don't normally see in the flesh, um, it's really interesting. I mean, it it is good fun. And I find this not only with lectures, lectures that I do in the UK, uh, I often find that it's more a case of, oh, hi, Mark, rather than, oh, you're here, how wonderful. Now, that's in itself not a problem, but it's very in marked contrast when you then travel, have to travel all these thousands of miles to go to another country, where suddenly they are really appreciative and keen to see you. And I find the same with shows, that the number of shows that I do locally to me, I mean, really local, I live in Exeter, in the city itself, are very, very few. I always seem to be travelling away or further afield 
it's almost like people think, well, if he's got to travel two hours to get to us, um, he must be a good performer. I, I mean, that isn't the logic. There's no logic in that at all. But I think there's a certain amount of truth in that. And I wonder whether you, you find this too. Do you, do you have the same effect? Do you have the same feeling about that you get more bookings further away? I don't know quite why it is. And the, the internet, of course, and the fact that people can look you up from wherever they are in the country almost whereas um, before they would go to a yellow pages to access acts they would tend to get a very localized selection presented to them whoever happened to be in that area that the yellow pages was covering with the internet of course it spreads it right out and it's possible for anyone anywhere any part of the country or the world quite frankly to be able to find your information and then and i know for a fact that occasionally People have tried to book me, not realising that I wasn't living in their local area. They thought that I was, but actually I wasn't. So it's an interesting thing, isn't it? When we get American, or for instance, American lecturers come to the UK, there's a, uh, an excitement. Uh, people really, really make the extra effort to go and see them because you think, well, they're not going to be here perhaps again for a while. And, and so because they've travelled the distance, you make the effort. Whereas if it's somebody from the UK who you think, oh, well, if I don't catch them this time, I'll, I'll go catch them at a convention or I'll go to another local club and they'll probably go and lecture there as well. So there isn't quite that, that frisson of excitement. So interesting. Uh, I, I, I don't know whether there's anything you can do about that. I think it's, it is just what it is. But it's something that I've certainly noticed. Right, let me tell you about a new release that I'm bringing out this month. It's called the Pro Ring on Glasses. Now, about three or four years ago, I had a ring on glasses method, which I released, and I sold for a while. But this is a new method. It's kept all the good parts of the previous method, but it's added a couple of extra things which make the handling incredibly clean. The effect itself is that you borrow a ring from a man, like a wedding band or something like that, and it's placed under a handkerchief and handed to a spectator who holds onto it. With empty hands, you remove a glasses, spectacles case from your pocket. You take your glasses out, someone examines the case, and the glasses are dropped back into the case, which are then held by the, by the second spectator. You pull away the handkerchief and instantly the ring disappears. The spectator holding the glasses case then opens up the glasses case, takes out the glasses, and when they pull them out, they're actually threaded on the closed glasses is the borrowed ring. It's a very, very strong trick. I've used it for quite some time in my own walkabout work because I, I was looking for something that I could do that was like the flying ring that had that instant impact. Borrowed ring vanishes, ends up in impossible place. But I didn't want to do the flying ring itself because I tend to do the flying ring at tables. And I was looking for something that I could do that was had a similar impact and that used a borrowed ring, but which wasn't the flying ring itself. And this ring on glasses was what I decided to, to work on. The actual idea of a ring on glasses, I first saw, it was a David Acker, the Canadian magician, who did a lecture at 4F, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. And in that lecture, he did this trick. He used a purse and he dipped the, um, the glasses down into the purse and, and the ring appeared on the glasses. And I really liked the idea, but I, I didn't quite see the logic of the purse. So I decided to use the glasses case and, and then from that develop the routine and the method. What I really like about this is how clean the handling is. I supply with it one of my vanisher gimmicks. 
And this is really key in making the whole trick very, very fooling. I do this a lot in walkabout for lay people. I know how strong this is. But it's the fact that after you have placed the borrowed ring under the handkerchief and a spectator is holding the ring through the handkerchief, both your hands are genuinely empty. So when you take the, the glasses case out and you bring out your glasses, you make some gags about the glasses and you put them on and so on, have the glasses case examined, your hands are genuinely completely empty at this point. Uh, so it's very strong. And yet moments later, when you pull the handkerchief away, the actual magical moment is very fast. The spectator can feel the borrowed ring. You pull the handkerchief away. Instantly it's gone. The other spectator can instantly remove the glasses from the case. And there's the ring. It's very, very good. And there's no reset. It's easy to do. And I supply um, everything that you need. I supply a special handkerchief. You get the vanisher gimmick. You get the glasses case. And the only thing you need to provide are a pair of ordinary glasses or sunglasses uh, to put into the to, to the, uh, the glasses case to use. I use. I actually went into a chemist shop and I bought some cheap uh, reading glasses. You know the ones that have a slight magnification. They're not they're not prescription. Three or four pounds or something like that. And I use those. But you can use your own glasses if you wear glasses, or as I say, you could use sunglasses if you prefer. So go and watch the demo on my site. It's there now. It's called the Pro Ring on Glasses. And it's if you do any sort of walkabout or table magic, I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you had to define what was the one major difference between, let's say, a pro performer and a semi-pro or certainly an amateur magician, I su suspect that the key difference would be the number of performances that the person does a pro i guess by definition unless they're a very unsuccessful pro tends to work a lot of shows that person is going to be out working regularly whereas the semi-pro who just does magic perhaps the odd evening or weekends but has a full-time job and therefore cannot work as often as the pro does has less a less of a number of shows in the year and the amateur well sometimes i, I guess it can be weeks sometimes months in between an actual paid booking well i say paid just a booking never mind where it's paid or not so this makes a huge difference to the slickness and familiarity that the performer brings to their show i even notice it myself i don't do as many children's shows these days as i used to do when i do do a children's show i i notice that my timing is just slightly off at times it's almost like because i haven't done shows on such a regular basis all the knowledge is there all the bits of business are kind of there but it takes just a split second longer for me to sometimes access what i say at a given point or the way that i do things sometimes you go into auto mode where you start to do a, a particular sequence and, and it all floods back and you just do it automatically but there are other times the oh I never said that line or oh, I never did that bit of business. It's because I haven't done it for a while. So you start to lose that feeling of familiarity. And I think for the, the amateur magician who doesn't perform very often, this can be a, a, quite a problem. A lot of amateur magicians talk about how nervous they get when, before they actually get to work. And of course, one of the reasons for this is because they're not performing very often. So it becomes much more of a stressy situation it's one of these things that they don't do on a regular basis. They don't feel well oiled. And also the amateur magician, because he will probably not be doing the same tricks to different audiences. 
but different different tricks to the same audiences there's not a familiarity with the material so uh, you're trying to remember the moves the sequences the actual physical handling of the trick rather than just doing that automatically and concentrating on the presentation and this is a, a very big thing i think in terms of how well you perform and how confident you are in performance when i do lots of shows especially one night after another say busy times such as christmas where you you really do get into a tremendous rhythm in the same way i mentioned earlier about doing lectures you get into a rhythm it, it does help you the, the the lines run at the forefront of your mind the actions that you need to make to make the tricks work come out very smoothly and i and i love that feeling of being in total control of what's happening that i'm not thinking oh what have i got to do next it just happens and that's really feeling on top of your material like that is fantastic and it does breed confidence i'm sure of it because you, there are no surprises you haven't got to think oh i've got that move coming up in a minute hope i can remember it you, you've done it last night the night before and the night before that or at least if not that recently fairly recently it will be all very straightforward for you to do so one of the things that uh, semi pros and amateurs suffer from is that lack of lack of regularity of performance which is very hard to combat and the that and it proves if nothing else that the amount that you perform can have a significant impact on how well you perform which is something that the, where the pros have a big advantage now i have to admit i'm not much of a summer person not as a magician anyway i don't actually really like performing when it's hot you get hot even in the winter of course if you're doing a dinner it's a big dinner and all the main courses come out and the steaming plates of food and the temperature in the room rises significantly and if you're all dressed up in a in a dinner jacket or whatever you can get really hot but it's not so much that not a performance generated heat but just a general heat if you're working outside in in strong sunlight or even inside where there's no air conditioning which of course in the UK is quite regularly the case then i really don't like that feeling of being very hot but it's not just the feeling that i don't like i've noticed how it affects some of the props that i use cards in particular sometimes you can get a situation where you've got a deck of cards in your pocket and it's very very hot day when you take them out and you take the cards out if you look at the deck you can see that the cards have very slightly warped they're not necessarily sitting in a nice sort of um neat little lump oh no you can see the slight splits in some of the cards of cards near the top and near the bottom and when i was in america recently i had this experience actually inside a building something to do with the air conditioning and i had some cards out on the table and i realized and i was looking at them and i thought they're not actually lying flat on the table anymore they were starting to bow now it wasn't particularly hot in the room but there was something about them either moisture in the atmosphere or something like that was creating uh, the wrong conditions for the cards and they were starting to react to it so <laughs> i ended up taking them and putting them into little plastic bags or wallets just to try and keep the the temperature of the cards even so that they would lie flat and i know that working outside for instance in the summer that could be a problem that uh, you, you if your cards are in direct heat but also there are other ambient conditions which are not favorable for magic either 
For instance, it can be a nice day, but it might be a bit windy. And even rope tricks or a trick that I often use, a handkerchief and a trick, suddenly you realise that the, the, the wind is blowing the handkerchief and it won't lie flat, say, over your hand. And you kind of need it to for a move that you're going to do. And you suddenly realise that the wind is blowing and lifting the edges of the handkerchief in a way that makes it really difficult for you to perform. So all these little things that you have to, to deal with. And of course, you tend to get this more in the summer because there are more outside events. And so that's why I'm, I'm not particularly keen on, on summer magic because it brings in all these extra things. And quite frankly, there's enough to think about without worrying about whether you're going to be rained on or whether your props are going to get blown away. You know, I do find it fascinating listening to lay people talking about magic shows that they've seen, either on television or live. You get a completely different perspective on how our magic is viewed when you listen to what they say. Some close friends of mine went to see Dynamo's live show and they absolutely loved it. They said it was fantastic. And they were describing some of the things that they thought that he'd done. I say they thought that he's done because their interpretation and the bits that they left out and the things that they emphasised clearly showed that there were certain elements of his show which had made a real impact and which had stuck in their mind, but which they had then changed in their minds to something probably better than it actually was. And so when they told me, and in order to impress me with what they'd seen, exaggerations started to come in, which is, which is fascinating. It's almost like the person telling the tale is desperate for the person listening to the tale to be as equally impressed as they were by what they saw. And so the only way sometimes to do that is to embellish a little or to add little things that they don't realise at the time, but they're making them up. These things were not done in this sequence or they didn't happen in quite that way. But that's their sort of perception of it afterwards when they go to tell the tale. And it's worth remembering this, isn't it? Because there are certain tricks, and I think Dynamo is a good example of this. His um, mobile phone into a bottle is probably the trick that people, lay people, have mentioned specifically to me the most. And, I, and, and it's been a lot of times they've mentioned it. Different people have mentioned it. Clearly, this resonates with people. And when you listen to how they describe what happens in that trick, it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And in a way, it should make us look at our own magic. Magic that is very simple. And it's always said that the best tricks generally speaking anyway this isn't entirely true of course but some of the best tricks are ones you can describe clearly in one sentence he borrowed a mobile phone and magically put it into a bottle it is you know you can describe it in one short sentence and that makes it memorable the plot is really really clear and i think when we're looking at tricks that we want to do particularly perhaps in a strolling or, or, or table hopping situation thinking about how would you describe the plot of the tricks I'm going to show these people, if you cannot describe it succinctly in one sentence, then the chances are it's not tr a trick that's suitable for that type of magic. You know, performances where you have 45 minutes to, to develop character, to develop longer routines and plots is one thing. But I think when you're doing a lot of magic very quickly and then moving to the next group to do some more, finding tricks that of this nature will leave a much better impression with the spectators than long multi-phase 
card routines where there are six or seven sort of um, key moments that people are supposed to remember. All that ends up is that the lay people end up being confused because they and they think, actually, I haven't got a clue what happened there. It, was, it looked great, but I don't know what it was. So I, I, I've been trying to do this more to look at the tricks that I use for lay people and think, is this suitable for this type of show when I'm in a hurry? Can I describe this this routine or this effect succinctly? And if not, can I change the way it's presented to speed it up so that then the lay people will be able to remember it? It's quite an interesting exercise to do, really. What do you think it is that makes comedy actually funny? I was thinking about this the other day because there are certain comedians who I personally rather like. I like Michael McIntyre, I like Lee Evans, that type of stand-up comedian. I like the way that they develop their stories and their lines. They take everyday situations, a bit like Victoria Wood used to do. They'll take a, a situation that we've all experienced and they'll just talk about it, but they will exaggerate things and, and put things into a clever building sequence of fun to get the laughs. But it's not just what they say, because if you were to write down the words that they use and just read them, in themselves, those words are often not that funny. Literally, as a text, they wouldn't be humorous, probably, a lot of the time. Because a lot of the best comedy, at least from my perspective, what I enjoy, a lot of the best comedy is all to do with the person who's telling it. They always say, don't they, that um, it's the way I tell them. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of feeling. And there's a lot of truth in that, because if you are on side with the performer, in other words, if you like the entertainer, if you uh, he comes across very nicely to you, then you are more likely to find him amusing in what he says. It's down to his timing of actually delivering the lines it's the intonation it may be accents it may be added noises it may be in the case of lee evans physical movements that are funny that embellishes the actual words and there are some comedians who have material which potentially is very funny and i sit there and i i hardly break a smile and i'm thinking well these people have put us probably as much effort into their act and they think their jokes are funny, and other people in the audience are, are rolling in the aisles laughing. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I don't find this funny at all. Is it the subject matter? Could be. Some subject matters I don't find amusing. I don't know. But it seems to me that if, as a magician, when you're using lines, if the lines fit you as a performing personality, and if they are consistent, think of, I always quote Jeff Hobson as being his sort of camp style. He has developed and refined it over the years. And everything he says and does fits very accurately with that persona that he's created. And that, and that consistency is what makes it funny. If he was to use just one camp line in the middle of it all it probably wouldn't have the impact that it does when it builds over the course of his entire act. And this is true of a lot of comedians, that they, they, they build, and you've only got to look at the, the big arena shows that people like Malcolm McIntyre do, they build almost a kind of hysteria amongst the audience. The audience is already, because they've seen them on television, they already are predisposed towards the performer, they really like them, they found them funny in the past. So the minute the person walks out, he can say, hello, and everybody laughs. 
it's almost like a preconditioning. So that makes it so much easier for these people to then get laughs subsequently. New performers have to establish that rep- that repartee with and, and get the audience on side and get them to like them before they can really get the audience perhaps on a roll of laughter. That means that they're a big success. And it, it can take many years sometimes for people to get used to it. I always noticed that. I went to see Morecambe and Wise uh, live. It was around about 1979, something like that. And they had the same impact. The minute they walked out, because people had seen them so much on television, they immediately were ready to laugh. And they could do almost anything and people would laugh. You've still got to deliver. But everything they did was consistent. Some of their, their set lines, what do you think of it so far? Rubbish. That, that, that little sequence, which they used for years in their television shows, is not actually funny in itself until you put it in context until they actually say it and then it becomes hysterically funny so when we are putting comedy into our acts it's worth thinking about isn't it when you find lines that you 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 want to use you need to think is that line going to work for me is it consistent with my performing personality because if it isn't then it's best not to use it because it simply won't gel with the audience and, and it probably won't be funny at all Right, so there we are. Another uh, half an hour has gone. Thank you so much for taking a little bit of time to sit and listen to the June podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I will look forward to be back here again in July with some more topics to hopefully be of interest to you. Bye for now. Have a good month.